The great economist John Maynard Keynes once wrote of the foolish things a man thinking alone can come temporarily to believe. Fortunately, I did not have to think alone. And neither do we. Welcome to Cetris Never Paribus, the History of Economic Thought podcast, where all other things are never equal. <laughs> Beatrice, thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to be talking about what it's like to be a parent in academia, which is especially noteworthy to talk about at the moment with the virus going on and us having children at home and nurseries closing down and so on. So I think it's especially topical at the moment. So Beatrice, would you be able to start by just introducing yourself and telling us about your family situation? Yes, thanks for having me. So um, I I am an associate professor in history of economics at uh, the French CNRS. Uh, I have three kids, um, a daughter who is 12, and I had her, I was still uh, in uh, in my last year of PhD. I have a boy who is 10, and I have a smaller boy who is six. And my husband works uh, abroad on shift. So I raised them alone half the year, and we raised them together the other half of the year. So that's how it works. Thank you. Reinhard as well, perhaps you could do the same. Well, I'm a postdoc uh, at the University of Potsdam and I have a two-year-old son. And yeah, so it was, life changed quite a bit after the birth and uh, at least uh, at, uh, at least research got a bit more challenging, I would say. Yeah, trying to drug a little... And, and so just quickly, I'm, I have a little six-month-year-old, so I'm still, I'm very new to this parenting gig. But yes, um, it definitely has been a bit of a challenge getting back to work in January and juggling everything, uh, especially the sleepless nights at the beginning, although that does get better, <laughs> thankfully. All right, so why don't we start on our first, the first kind of thing I'd like to talk about is, Beatrice, you mentioned that your first child came when you were doing your PhD. I mean, that must have been quite challenging. Would you mind um, telling us about that? Yes, yes. I was, uh, I was finishing my PhD. Well, France, two things. I mean, France really has a, a good system uh, of, um, of leave when you, you have a kid, uh, not, not for, for the father. I mean, it's, it's changed a bit since, but... There is more opportunity to get a leave for a father, but it's still not, as far as I know, it's still not very much used by, by, uh, by fathers or the other, the other partner. But you have like a two and a half or three months uh, leave when you have a kid. Uh, and then in my case, I chose to um, take that six months parental leave in which you sort of retain uh, some bits of your wage, uh, though uh, less than half of it for... Um, no, in the first six months, you do you do retain most of your of your wage. So I, I took this uh, extended leave, uh, and I worked on my dissertation from home with my with my with my kid. So it was fine. I have to mention that I'm not someone who need a lot of sleep, so that's pretty much fine. So I would I would work uh, while breastfeeding the kid, uh, and also at night. Or I mean, there wasn't kind of a reason I. I just worked when I could, basically. <laughs> so I wanted to say like something that sounds that is important in my case for my for all of my three kids. I took like that six month leave afterwards, uh, and I, I just want to say, parents, I mean, feel free to just work if you want to work or not work at all if you don't feel like you want to work. I mean, there is a lot of do and don'ts. Uh, and what you're supposed to do and I don't feel I, I don't feel either either working or not working saying you have to work or not or, or not work at all is is a good thing I mean there are some parents who will need to take a total break for like three months or six months or a year and that's that's absolutely fine uh, and there are some parents who would need some sort of like keep their brain moving in the middle of sleep last night to just uh, feel they are not just, the whole of them is just not uh, at the service of the baby. And that's fine too. I mean, the, the problem is with, with uh, taking uh, 
like standards defined outside uh, for yourself. That's the best way to I mean, get a mail down. So. Yeah, that's a good point. We don't have to do it the way everybody else does it. And just because you get those, you know, in France, I just had six months in total of full-time um, parental leave because of the semester timing, I got an extra month than the normal amount. It's true that I decided to not do much at all, but I there was one thing that was that was that kind of had a deadline last fall, and I just felt like this was really important for my trajectory at the university I was, that I'm at. Um, it was about changing a, a, a kind of a requirement in the major, which would make my history of economics, economic history class, much more important in the major. Which just felt like, okay, I really want to work on this. This is really important to me. And taking out, you know, ten hours of my time during those six months actually made me quite happy. Made me feel like, okay, here I am, able to concentrate on becoming a mother, but also concentrate on this other part of my life that's really important to me too. Um, and I agree with you that we shouldn't feel guilty for that. I, I, I assume that there's a little bit more pressure there on mothers. I'm, I'm not sure, Raina, how you feel about this. Do you feel like there's pressure on fathers in Germany as well? Well, I would, in, in Germany, you have um, 14 months of um, paid leave, both together. And like one parent can only take 12 maximum. So if you want to have the whole 14 months, um, each has to take at least two. My partner and I, we, we split it. So she did the first seven months and I was working more or less usual. Although like no weekend uh, sessions on an article or something that didn't happen anymore. And the second seven months I took um, and I didn't plan to do much work and I didn't, I didn't really work much. I mean, I, the only thing I really got done was read a book and write a review. But but that's it. I I, th I remember I got a revise and resubmit from from a journal two days before I went on parental leave. I started working on that when my parental leave was over. I mean I didn't. You might have have time in the evenings for a few hours. I I do need sleep. <laughs> I think it's different from Beatrice and it is it is uh, exhausting. Like the whole day, you, you it's fun, but it's also exhausting. So I I mean I had a like a quiet hour or two in the evening or at night but I was like no I I, I don't I mean I wouldn't I would read something like a novel or something or I would watch something with my partner um, on Netflix or something but I wouldn't I mean I would have had the time but I was not feeling like working and, and that was fine for me so um, yeah I don't know about the general pressure I mean usually the I think fathers don't take that seven months it's rather unusual um, even in academia um so i can't i can't generalize it but that was just my mind i mean i i i was open to like if i have time to work i can do so i, I do have work of course <laughs> i could write uh, finish some articles or, or, or do the revise and resubmit but then it turned out not to happen that was i mean it was okay for me i was i was happy about it actually and it was it was fun i'm happy to have like seven months spent just at home with a child and and get the and still like get money <laughs> Even not the full wage, but like two thirds is fine. It's totally fine. But yeah, I think that one of the reasons that, uh, at least in Germany, that fathers don't take too much parental leave. First, of course, it's not like society usually puts mothers in there, but also because of the where mothers usually earn less, like the pay gap gap. And if you have to only get two thirds of your wage, and this is um, so the the higher earner has to has to um, forego one third, which is usually the man, this might affect some some um, household incomes in a bad way. So this might also be reasons So it might be better to, at least up, up to, to a level to have a full full wage instead of two third. But I mean, for us, this was not an issue. And also I'm the one who earns less. <laughs> so. I definitely think that that comes in. It's interesting that I had this discussion with some of my students, you know, who are in there, um, most of them are not, even 20 but or or early 20s and there was a Finnish student of mine who said no but I don't think the decision for either the mom or the dad to stay at home should ever be about money it should be about the the feeling that the um, you know the mother or father has towards their job are they do they really like their job and I was I said I laughed out loud and I said I think this is because you're Finnish and and, and he said no I don't think it's about the fact that I'm Finnish and it was for him that was his world you know he had been raised there he's 
um, <clears throat> he's not that much younger than me, but definitely a younger generation younger than me. And I was really happy and pleased to see that for him, that wasn't even a, that wouldn't even play into his thinking. Now, of course, it's because Finland has set up a system where <clears throat> men and women are on a more equal setting, right? The pay gap is smaller, et cetera, even though there is one. Um, but I wanted to go back to this point about, you know, you were tired in the evenings. I, I, I read um, a tweet earlier this week of, of an academic, a, a male academic, who said, look, I, I, I'm getting really frustrated at my employers who are saying to us parents specifically that we need to now realize that we need to work mornings before our children wake up and we need to work when they nap and we need to work when they and in the evenings and the weekends because, you know, it's going to be much harder for them because the kids are at home. And he says this is completely uh, ignoring the fact that childcare is a job, right? And it brings us all to these discussions about how GDP doesn't count non-paid care work and so on. I think your example, right now, and I think to all of us in our community, you are you're you're setting an example for 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 male colleagues later on to go. It's okay to take seven months and not to do work, and this is because this is real work too, and it's about building a bond with your child that's just as important as your as your career. And if we support that financially, then we have the opportunity to do it, and we don't have to feel guilty about doing it. And so on. I'm not sure about the technical details, but because I got paid. If only two thirds, I think it is technically paid care work, so it would be included in GDP. So, I mean, that's not what people usually refer to as unpaid care work, right? Because I got paid for it. I mean, now I'm not paid for it anymore, but <laughs> at the time I was. Yeah, but so this is a good point. This is exactly the, the it, once you start paying for it, yeah. it becomes something that we um, appreciate. We we realize that it's um, that it is work that it, it needs to be done and so on. Whereas, you know, this, this, I think this academic um, was in the U S right. So this is still a system where maternity leave isn't even mandated on a national level. Yeah. Two things here. The first one is um, I, I'm not sure we can do. Okay. So we live in various countries with various standards in here in France, in also in Germany, we're, as compared with the US, for instance, we're fairly lucky. Uh, so there's that one thing that we cannot change is what, what uh, social standard we are in and how much uh, paid leave we're given and how much uh, childcare space and how subsidized they are and whatsoever. But what we can change uh, is actually um, the norm around using it when, it when it exists or not. And, and, and there is um, some, sort of norm setting to do in our field, definitely. Uh, first, because, well, I guess Reinhardt is the first uh, man that I, uh, colleague, well, male colleague that I know that um, sort of took his full leave and, uh, and sort of like talked about it and how it is and stopped working and that it's fine and whatsoever. And even for women, I mean, I, there, I don't, when I grew up as an academic, I didn't have any uh, female uh, role model. I mean, uh, there were a few, like, I, I think I've, I've met in the first seven years, I was a PhD student, then a postdoc, maybe four or five senior women, uh, some with child, some not with child, they were not talking about it at all. Uh, so there, there was absolutely no exchange whatsoever on how it is to get kids uh, uh, during the PhD or on the tenure track or on a postdoc whatsoever. Uh, I was even told uh, when I was pregnant with my second kid, I hope you stop there because you're going to ruin your career uh, or, or something like that. So, um, so yeah, the legal framework we probably cannot change, but what you do with these legal frameworks, there is already... already so room for discussion, I think that's really important. So that was my first point. And my second point is um, it doesn't stop when you resume work. I mean, the only problem with having a kid or the only thing, it's not a problem, but the only, uh, what you need to think about is not just the like, say, first 18 months or up to when the kids sleep or whatever. Okay, so for me, for instance, I didn't need a lot of sleep. I was in a country with a good system, so I didn't lose weight or it was fine. Uh, it went, it, it was harder when I resumed working with several kids. I mean, one in the daycare, one at school, then one in the daycare and two at school. 
and trying to juggle uh, like 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. meeting because it exists and saying, okay, that, that, that this, this meeting at 6 p.m. or 5 p.m. doesn't work for me. So you gotta shift that and like running in the whole thing when your kids get sick or when you, you have to travel, I guess we're gonna come back to that where you're invited, you're like, okay, what, what I'm gonna do with the kid, how much is gonna cost me because it's never covered in the, in, if, you, if you offer to participate into a conference or to give a seminar, they're gonna pay you to go to the conference in the hotel and it's already really cool, but usually you have to do something with your kids and usually it's costly. And all these things last uh, four years and uh, are also in needs of norm setting or strategy or needs to be open dis uh, openly discussed in here with our small institution like professional society, maybe we can actually act on that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree that, that we can we can perhaps start to change the way the processes that the conferences that we go to have, right? That they can start to fund childcare and maybe a bigger, you know, hotel room, apartment or whatever. So if you can bring the children with you. It, it's, def it's definitely something that needs to be done, right? Because they're, I, what I've understood a lot from the, the Twitter uh, discussions is that a lot of women do have to turn down going to conferences um, if they don't get that support. Um, and, and, you know, mentioning about the, the meetings at 5 p.m., I, I just had a, a discussion about this in my department and we're four professors, that's it, right? And they just, they they took us so long to for them to understand that I, did not want to meet at 6 p.m., you know? And not that I nece didn't necessarily, I couldn't because I'm really lucky. I have my partner who's who from home and, and is very, um, very present. He He's going to start to travel a bit more when Anton gets bigger because he's having, he, he's basically made a deal with his company that he didn't need to travel that much. Um, and of course now with the virus, he's not traveling. Any, nobody's traveling, but um, so I'm lucky that I could do those meetings, but it's also, do I want to? Do I want to miss those two hours with my son in the evening because we decide that we want a meeting at 6 p.m. when we could clearly have it over lunch, uh -huh. you know? It doesn't, doesn't change much. And yet it was this, no, but we've always done it at that time. And it's like, yes, before I came, before my other female colleague came, you hardly had any female professors or you had very young female professors who didn't have children yet. Um, so it's okay that you were doing it like that before, but now let, let's see if we can maybe change the way we do things. Yeah, there is. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I, I, I won't have to fight for this again, but for instance, one of, the, one of my big fights this past two or three years was to try to convince my people that you my my colleagues that you couldn't have you could have uh people zooming in or skyping in during conference uh even even not just for an hour even for like like if you have a we had a um writing workshop in the summer which can also be a problem in those country when they are like extended summer breaks uh, a few years ago, uh, with uh, one participant um, had a newborn and couldn't travel, and another participant had a cancer and couldn't travel. And it was like, well, we are going to meet in a room with Zoom, and they are going to um, Zoom in. So they were in Europe or in the US, so at least like half a day, so they can have half the talks and not just like one presentation. Otherwise, they're going to drop from the projects. And there was a lot of debate of whether it was worth it, whether it would work, and people were really skeptical. And in the end, we did that, and it worked well. Maybe it worked 80% of what you get compared with like flying there and getting the social aspect. But I mean, 80% when you want to resume work and still be in the game whatsoever, it's, it's already a lot. And I guess now it's going to be more generalized and, and with this coronavirus thing. And it's an opportunity to actually change the norm and say, yeah, even big conference like HES or ESHET, the problem, I, the problem with that lag I see is not, not so much happening during PhD. I think it was an exception in having a king during my PhD. But I see the period after the PhD and before the first stable employment, like like a tenure track job or whatsoever, it's like a big black hole 
people are usually with one or two kids in their late 20s or early 30s they don't come to conference anymore because the wage is lower it's expensive to go to a conference it's twice as expensive if you need to either bring a kid or leave the kid at home or whatsoever and there is nothing for this age span um and maybe, maybe I remember, so it happened to me. So after I, I got my PG, I was a postdoc for two years, half a year-ish because I was having kids. Then I went to high school for a year. And then finally, like exactly four years after I completed my PhD, uh, I was hired as an assistant professor. Okay. So like many people in my generation and your, in your generation, uh, we experienced a pretty long gap from the day we finished the PhD to the day, it's not, not your case, but I still, I mean, at least half the, the, the people have a, a lag and there is, a, and it corresponds to when we're having our first kids. And there, there is a real qual collective question about how we're gonna help these people uh, uh, stay in the field, okay? Uh, so of course they can be the, uh, helping to go to conference, but we are so small, uh, like organizing childcare, for instance, is something we discussed at HES last year because we wrote a report on being more inclusive towards visual public and like, so it was, it started as a, as trying to deal with uh, whether there was problems with women in the, in, in the field, but it was extended to uh, all people who actually couldn't actively participate. So funding childcare was actually discussed, but we are a small society uh, and it would be extremely expensive in terms of insurance to set up childcare for like three or four kids. It's not like uh, the ASSA or where it's a, 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 big, a big conference from a big society and whatsoever. Um, so we might be able to do a one-to-one -one help, like, like try to help the funding of someone who would come and care for the kid or like allowing larger auto room to be booked. But, but in, in, in the case we cannot fund enough for people to come, at least try to find solution for them to be able to attend the conference. Um, like zooming into their sessions or uh, like streaming of the session. They might be uh, also even, even like social, uh, the social aspect people say, you, if you, cannot, you don't attend the conference, you cannot have any uh, socialization. I don't think it's true. I mean, like in times of coronavirus now, uh, people are experiencing like Zoom or Skype uh, uh, breaks or uh, like evenings or coffees or any and it works so it, it works well. So I guess there there is there we are in need or people start collectively trying to help people manage to get through the whole path from starting a PhD in history of economics to getting a job and then getting tenure and whatsoever. Yeah, I think the norms will change. I mean, I'm even noticing it that I'm able to call my my friends just on a personal level more in groups and it's working really well. And we were talking, saying today, like, why don't we always do this? We don't live in the same country, a lot of us. We don't live in the same city for sure. And so, yeah, I think this experience will let us um, realize that this isn't as bad as we as we thought it was. Picking up on what you said, you know, your insurance is very expensive. Is it? Would it be very expensive just to offer stipends for people to pay for childcare in there. So let's say I have um, a conference in, you know, let's pick Sophia that now might happen in September, right? The Eshet in, 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 in Sophia, Bulgaria. Could they not have a fund for me to pay for childcare in Paris, right? Where I'm Yeah, probably, uh, yeah that, that, that might, I mean, I guess that would be easier to actually bring the kid. Uh, they only, for instance, in the US, the, um, only solution was actually to um, book room in hotels that would organize childcare because if the society was organizing childcare, that that was too too problematic in terms of insurance. So this, yeah, get, getting a stipend for uh, for to pay for childcare um, to leave the kid would also uh, be an option. The the problem is that um, the societies are run by people who don't have that problem anymore or never had to uh, be concerned. So, yeah, I mean, it's about like that survey we did for the HES, we had, I think, I think something like 40 respondents. Uh, it's not much. 
And that's a problem. And I really want to say publicly, that's a problem. So if we make a survey to try to address some concerns in that uh, some people respond and de facto the people who don't respond that are a huge majority send the message that there is no problem, nothing gonna be done, okay? So this is this childcare issue, for instance, that was uh, actually one of the most uh, standard demand across the people responding, uh, young and a bit older and, and, and male and women alike, because uh, it's not only women responding and the in like Reinhardt, I mean, most of the men who respond in under 40 ask for childcare as well. So of course they both, I mean, uh, they, they both have an issue with uh, participating into a conference. So there was a response, there was a dem that demand, and if you actually want it to happen, uh, you need to keep pressuring societies to do something. And the more we are, the more the pressure there is. So my feeling is that there had been a discussion of all this last summer and even more the summer before, but uh, it's still not there and it's not time to forget about the topic. And there is a high risk that the topic will be forgotten in one year or two years. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we should uh, ask more for, for childcare, though I'm not sure because it's expensive. Like, I mean, my, usually now my travels are paid by my university. So I think my university should also support not only the HES, but also the, the university that pays for your travels might support it. And I'm not, I don't, well, is this insurance issue, is this an issue in the US or is that general? Because I don't know, in, at least in Germany, most universities have kindergartens anyways. I don't know if you can just, during conference, put children in there, but I just know that my university, when they have workshop for the graduate school for PhD student postdocs, they have like one or two day workshops for like, I don't know, writing in English or oral skills or something. They usually ask you if you need Childcare, and they would provide it for you. But I never, I never used it because like we have childcare anyways here. So I mean, it can't be that complicated to, 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 uh, to offer it. I don't know. At least in Germany, universities usually have have uh, kindergartens anyways, and I think this might be an, an opportunity to cooperate there. I don't. I'm not sure about other countries, and I assume in the US it's more an insurance issue than, uh, than in in European countries that are usually not that. I mean. You don't have to insure everything or put legal waivers everywhere here like you do in the US. So I'm not sure if that makes a difference. I don't know. I think there is, a, they, in the US now, there at the HS, there is a, pre, in, at least in principle, decoupling of uh, uh, who's organizing and where the conference is organized so that the, the group that's organizing may not be uh, as systematically associated with the university where the conference is located. So I guess that would create issues, but uh, I mean, it, it shouldn't be for us to discuss the uh, legal and practical specifics. Um, what we need to do, what we need to do if we actually need it is to ensure that this, this conversation is being held in, in, at the executive committee of whatever conference. I know that INEM uh, is now, uh, um, is now, I, I, I went to INEM la, la, last summer and they advertised on their website that uh, uh, if you need childcare, you can just contact them and they'll find a solution. So I don't know if they can organize on-site childcare or if they offer some, some kind of stipend, but they have actually thought about it, so. Um, that's that's changing a bit. Yeah, that's great. I think the example of nurseries at universities are are Germany. I think it exists in France and perhaps Sweden too, but it's definitely bigger universities. Um, and it's not the case. Like I don't know. I don't remember seeing it ever in the UK and the US. I mean, I think that's far off. You know that they would that universities would start to provide childcare. It's just not as as Beatrice mentioned earlier, the people in charge are just they're not the people that are concerned with this, right? So they're not. It's not that they don't care about it. It's that they just don't have that experience and the need, so they wouldn't. You know, it reminds me of the um, book Invisible Women by the journalist, the UK journalist, 
Um, I'm not sure if you've read it. It's about the data gap, um, the gender data gap, and it's a phenomenal book. I highly recommend it to everybody. And that that she talks about childcare at one point, how it's not um, not counted in the GDP. It's not, um, and so therefore it's not a prioritized. And then clearly the kinds of people that are in in uh, in the power that have the power to change things, they're not the ones that are dealing with childcare. So it's not that they, again, it's not that they don't care or it's just a question of, we need to bring in other perspectives. We need people that have these issues, these problems into positions of power to change things. Yes, may, may I just ask Beatrice, how often did you, or how many conferences did you forego and how many invited talks did you, couldn't you take up because of the issue of childcare, just to get a, like a, a not a number, but to get a perspective. I'd say like, I'd say like yeah, 80%. So I'm getting more invitation, but I still, I still, uh, I'm still turning down uh, many. Uh, it's actually not just uh, going to conference. There is also a problem. So my case, I'm, I'm an archive historian mostly. And I, I do remember when I started my PhD that I wanted to be an epistemologist because I wouldn't have to go and visit archive. And I already knew it was going to be a problem if I was to have a family life. And I'd rather uh, work uh, on data, on distant data or text or whatever. And then maybe six months after, I, I don't think I was a mother yet. Uh, no, I didn't have uh, I didn't have a kid yet. But six months later, I did my first archival round, and I loved it. And I was like, ah, shit, I, I had to cope with that. So actually, it's not it's not even it's not even the conference when you want to go to archive for a week or ten days. It's also a huge problem, and it's even more a problem because the stay is longer than uh, for a conference. Uh, so I do remember that when I got my first grant that was uh, given me by INET that was super cool, but it was a research grant that was uh, supposed to help me write on the history of applied economics. And a large part of it was, was funding uh, archives. So I did archive in New York, I did archive in London, I did archive at Duke, I did archive uh, in California, I think. And I calculated that uh, of course, it was funding my traveling expense, not my childcare expense. And I calculated that uh, it cost me 20% uh, of the grant uh, in childcare. Uh, so at that time, I, I, I was sort of like, I was living uh, in the North. My mother was looking after the kids for a week. So I would sort of like uh, drive all the way from say Paris to, uh, niece and leave the kid and take a plane in Nice and it was more expensive because I had to flew back to Paris and then go to my location and then go back and take the kid and drive home and it was really expensive and this cost so in my case it was not the paying someone but it was paying to travel to leave my kids to my parents and and there was a systematic cost and I I was wondering to what extent we could we whether at some point we would be collectively allowed uh, to write grants by and, and adding these 20% cost uh, explicitly a childcare cost when writing a, a research uh, a grant application because it, it, it should be the case, okay? So there is a lot of opportunity foregone. Uh, sometimes it's because I cannot organize childcare. Sometimes it's just because, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be away too often because it's sort of like distract. It's uh, uh, kids need, my kids need to have a like regular uh, schedule. And so if I'm away a lot of time, that's going to be a problem. And there is that. So I'm not sure what we can do about that, but the cost aspect at some point was really like uh, in France, uh, academic wage is not really, uh, are not really huge and if you have to spend like 20% of your wage on like mm. hidden costs because your parents that's really an issue yeah i feel like this is really getting on to the topic that that, that Reiner mentioned earlier like who, who is the the people funding us to go to conferences nowadays are our universities so actually maybe that's also a a place we need to start we need to start asking our 
employers. So I know I have 2000 euros a year um, to go on conferences. I don't know whether that's big or large or small, or I, I don't know um, in terms compared to other, we're not a, a research university, we're a teaching university. So, but I, but I know that, that, that helps, that, that can get me to, you know, three, four conferences in Europe, no problem, right? But if I then have to also pay for childcare, it's not gonna, it's not gonna last me as long. So would, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really tempted now to take this discussion up. And again, I think it's brings up your point about we, you know, there were only 40 responses to that questionnaire asking for it, because if yeah. we don't ask, then it's not going to be on the table. Yeah. And that's, that's really the first message that, that, that was pretty disappointing. And then I met uh, what the worst part is, since uh, this, we did the survey last uh, last summer, and I've talked to several uh, postdoc and uh, uh, people defending their dissertation soon. So sometimes pregnant, sometimes with young kids, and saying, "Yeah, it's tough." And I and I knew these people didn't respond to the survey, and I, I was like, "We ha we had a window to actually discuss a topic," and. The societies are actually, given the low response rates, the societies are actually uh, allowed to say, well, I see that there is no real problem. Mm -hmm. So that sort of like kills the discussion even before it starts. So, uh, so this is really important. This is really important that people are not going to realize, uh, and you cannot ask them. For, uh, you cannot ask uh, like fifty-ish uh, people, a bunch of fifty-ish people, to actually prioritize uh, childcare. So there has to be there has to be voices. There has to be a collective voice from your generation and the constant collective voice saying, I, "We want that kind of issue discussed." Okay, because we are losing colleagues in their early thirties when they have kids, when they are looking for a job. And, and they are not returning, and maybe wouldn't, we wouldn't lose them if we were able to bring them to conference uh, on a regular basis or things like that. No, I agree. It's, uh, but it's, of course, also hard because, as you alluded earlier, it's, uh, you usually don't have a permanent job. I mean, in Germany, I think it's even worse because you have a lot of funding for PhD at the PhD level, and then there's like a bottleneck, so there's like much less funding for postdocs and it's always only temporary and you only get a permanent position when you, once you're a full professor but that is usually at the earliest in your late 30s or early 40s or even later so this is um, so I, I i do see your point but also you have like so many other things i mean i since i ended my my phd i think i had one year or one semester contracts always nothing more nothing longer um so yeah, I, I do agree, but then you have you have to worry about your job, you have to worry about your children or your child, and it's really hard to, to, to keep the pressure up because you're distracted by so many things. But I do agree that this we should actually keep the pressure up and, and raise our concerns and ask for, for childcare and make it public if we cannot go to a conference um because we don't have childcare or something. Because you said eighty percent were people would normally not know that. Like now you're saying it, but I don't think most people are aware that this is really the numbers that high. This, this is something we should should keep up, I agree. But maybe to go back a bit what you alluded before earlier, you said like the, how was the reaction within the profession or within your, your department when you got like the first child or the second child and the third child, you said, you somehow said that it was like you didn't have very positive responses or people told you hopefully you will not get another one do you think it was not this this community was not very supportive of you getting children uh, it, it really depends it really i i guess i guess the response of the community so there is a huge variance here because uh, i was in various institutions i was also uh, when i had my first kid, I was I was uh, finishing my PhD in France, and in France, um, I'd say some people were individually outside. Uh, the, the worst part is that the the person, the people who tell you that's not good for your career, they feel they are actually trying to help you, and so that that's really bad. But mostly, uh, the reaction of uh, the French academia is that you do whatever you want, but it has to be invisible. Okay. So of course, pregnancy cannot be invisible, but if you have kids, uh, 
it should not show in your schedule. You never bring your kids to, to, to school. You cannot sort of like exit a meeting saying, okay, that's my kid on the phone or I got a, pro a schedule issue with my kid or whatever. It should be invisible. Um, I was pregnant when my second kid, when I was uh, uh, on a postdoc at Duke. Uh, and, and, and first there was, they were trying to ease my my schedule. I, so I was pregnant. I couldn't. I knew I couldn't stay the whole year because I had to come back to France to um, to uh, give birth. And they were really nice. They tell me we're gonna help you pay the childcare. They told me uh, uh, if we are gonna give you a postdoc, if you want to go on a postdoc now, you can do it. If you want to do it next year, well, keep. Well, keep. I mean, you've earned that postdoc, so we'll keep it. If you want to split it, which is what I eventually did, so I I, I did a half year. I came back and then I I came to the US next uh, full semester. So they were they were very flexible. I mean, they try to take into account my situation. And if they hadn't, I probably wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have been to go through that post PhD stage, having kids looking for a job, not getting a job, and and, and whatsoever, and. And I found that the colleagues were, they were supportive in a way that they were, so they were only male and senior male, but I found them pretty supportive because uh, they would sort of like build in their uh, um, interaction with me that I had small kids, like asking about the kids, telling me about how it was when they had small kids and and you can come to the to, to to some kind of meetings with your kids, and they invite you over with your kids for the social life and whatsoever. So I saw a real, um, I saw so there was a, a wide individual difference, but I also felt that there was what I, I call like sort of culture, whereby uh, you you that's not something uh, you should discuss in French academia while it's sort of taking into account that you have a family, maybe not optimally, maybe not financially whatsoever, but at least people interact with you taking into account that your 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 parents to small kids. And and that that helps actually. Yeah, I think that's definitely some of that support that that you need. I don't know how it is in Germany. If you feel that that, if you can feel that there are differences across countries as well, or if if like the the colleagues are generally supportive or 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 not. No, in in my case in Germany, it's usually because you work as a like postdoc, you work for for a professor, so you're at a chair, what they call chair. So it's usually a very small group. So we are like just our chairs, just like the professor and three three assistants and so it's a very small group and so it's very understanding so if I say at three o'clock I have to go to pick up my child it's nobody will say anything it's fine I, if I announce it of course earlier so so people will know that it will happen so this is fine and I mean in general I think the from a father's perspective from a male perspective you usually don't get uh, what compared to colleagues like when I when I hear that you don't get the negative comments about being a parent, or this might ruin your career or something. I've never, or in fact, your career negatively. Um, I've never heard anything like that. And even when I went on for seven months on parental leave, people were like, oh, congratulations for that. And usually helpful, but I think this is, I, I don't know, this is uh, might not be the same for, for mothers. And I, I know um, from other friends who got more mixed reactions to that. And I, I don't, I can't remember ever hearing a colleague say anything negative to me about it. So, yeah, but this might be, I don't know if this is a German perspective or this is rather like a male versus female perspective. Um, it seems to me at least from like not, not only in academia, but also in everyday um, interactions that people for some reason, including women are more supportive towards fathers. Like this is, um, what I notice when I go to a train station and the elevator is broken and I have to go to the stairs and people usually ask me if they can help, like total strangers. This happens less often to my to my partner. She has to ask people if they can help. I don't know why 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 they I mean this is really odd. Like and, and I heard other people say the same thing, but like 
usually fathers get the support for some reason. If maybe it's a feeling that well, they owe the father alone with the child. They don't know what they are doing. They need help. Um, so I, I don't know. This is just a guess. It might be a different reasoning why, why, why people react like this. But I mean, I think you could generalize it that it seems to me that at least fathers get more support when they are with the child in public um, than, than the mothers. And this might be the same in academia that like women sometimes get negative comments, often positive, but also negative. And I never heard, also for other male colleagues, I never heard um, that they said anything that they got negative comments. But so I, I think it's more a male-female thing than a country or different cultures in different countries, but I might be wrong. I don't know if you have experience with that. Like, did you, were you treated differently than your partner when you were alone with the child in public or, or at the workplace? I don't know if, if your partner also got like, oh, you got three children now, this might affect your career or something. I don't know if you ever heard that. Yeah, no, I don't think my, my partner ever heard that. Maybe Maria, because you, you, you have experience from various countries. I, th I think you're right, Reinhardt, to say that we, there, there are different you have different experiences as this, whether you're a mother or a father, but I, to say that fathers always get more support, I think is wrong. Cause that maybe in academia where uh, we're hopefully a little bit more advanced, at least in Europe on thinking around the fact that there are two parents that made this baby. So maybe there should be two parents looking after them. Um, but I think there are still uh, sectors where fathers really are, are not really allowed to take their paternity leave. I mean, I'm one of my husband's clients who is Swedish. He lives in Gothenburg he took the minimum three months, like just like you in Germany, you have to take two months mm -hmm. to not lose it. The same in, in Sweden, they have to, it's three months. And, and his manager told him, you are only allowed to take those three months. And he said, I'm not allowed to not let you take those three months by law. So I'm gonna let you take those three months, but the rest not. And he, you know, they worked out that with his, with his partner and, and they were okay with that situation, the two of them. But he said he'd go to dinner parties where he would be, you know, almost told off by their friends. Oh, you only took three months. That's ridiculous. You know, so it was this very like double standard. You know, he had one uh, norm coming from his company that is a is a based in Gothenburg, but it's an international company. So for them, paternity leave is a bit odd. Um, and and yet his very Swedish um, friends were saying that's ridiculous. You know, um, so I think the the it's still very mixed. Um, I do know, though, that my um, partner, who then he's, he's lucky enough to work from home for a British company. And, you know, for him to say that he would, you know, take one day off a week to look after our little Anton, that's not, you know, that's not going to happen. I don't think, you know, they're being very flexible and we're very lucky because there's no we don't we're not eligible for the paternity leave that exists in in England right now, because that does exist, but we're not eligible because both of us don't work in England, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so they're being very nice nonetheless. I think that's definitely to do with the norm of him being a father, because I know that he has a female colleague who is allowed to take the full amount of uh, maternity leave. She's taken you know, six months off full time, and then she's slowly but surely coming back and she's now doing this for a second child. So they're very supportive company, but yet different standards for the mother versus the father can i add one thing i mean i'm returning to, to something we discussed um earlier the fact that um it's uh it's a marathon i mean so you're gonna when you you're having a kid as an academic you gotta think about how you're gonna manage every step so like childbirth and then the first months when you're not sleeping and and you're nursing the kid and and, and then the the moment you decide to go back to work and then the, the years afterwards when the kids are still home and need help and whatsoever and that moment when you're going back to work so as I say you can you can decide to stop completely or not stop completely in this last three months or six months or one year and whatsoever uh, but at some point you want to you you want to go back uh, doing teaching and research, teaching is really easy because you really have to do the work for the next day. And as I, as you say, perhaps the most difficult is to um, sort of like go back to research because of, of course it goes on top on the teaching loads. 
uh, and it might be much and it requires to be really into a project and it might be much more difficult. And what I want to say here is really just ask for help. Uh, my, my third kid, uh, so that was the, the third one. So I, I, I stopped for, for three months uh, and then I, I try to go back to writing, uh, writing paper that was really important for me. Um, and that's hard because you're just sleep deprived and whatsoever. And I ask my colleagues, like, I, I really want to, some of my colleagues I trust, I really want to uh, write that paper. I, I want to go back more every day to it. Can you just keep talking to me? Like, uh, send me an email every three days uh, saying, where are you with that paper? What problems? Uh, so you're forced to actually, or like, uh, these, these, these were uh, older colleagues, so we were exchanging via mail. You can absolutely do it via uh, video if you stay home like trying to Skype like once a week or once every three days to discuss the problem you have in your introduction and if you only do half an hour of writing you have already something to discuss uh, so what I want to say is uh, it, on every step really ask your colleagues really don't hesitate to tell people this is where I am uh, I, I need to uh, either I need to like be reassured that it's fine for me to take a real break and I want to be pushed to do more breaks or like keep me keep me researching like keep keep talking to me about about the things and people will do it so there's a lot of resource that maybe young parents are not uh, asking uh, their older colleagues enough, like 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 maintaining the intellectual community around around them, and usually, so now I'm in that stage where I'm the a, a bit more senior colleagues, and people won't do it uh, because because especially if they're parents, they don't want to impose on you. They just they just want to allow you to be with your kids if you want. So they are not going to reach out saying, do you want to talk research? That would be really odd, okay? So if you're the, the young parents and you want to go back to research, just research, reach out to people and people will be really happy to talk to you and, and ease you back into research. So just to, to second that, um, I, I think that when you're on parental leave, you can basically know what's happening and you can plan for that. And for me, I was like not doing much work, but then when you get back to work, you have to really get used to it then the child in my case like the first seven months when my partner was in parental leave it was fine because she was just there but after my seven months ended uh, our son went to uh, to kindergarten and then the whole schedule like you have to bring him there in the morning someone has to pick him up and at least in the beginning he was there for five six hours so that's not if you then have to go to work that doesn't leave you much time and I think it took me a few months to to get back to a schedule where uh, I could really do my own research or like more than like half a day a week or something uh, because it, it is it is uh, complicated in the beginning and you don't think about this but yeah it's, it's the marathon as you said and it it keeps it keeps being challenging and maybe the parental leave time is actually the or the time you take parental leave is actually the easiest time and the one that is most planable I would, at least to some respect because afterwards and now um, the child is sick, someone has to stay home, or we were supposed to do this interview, I think two weeks ago in the morning, and my son woke up sick, so I had to take him to the to the podiatrist, so we had to um, postpone this interview on a, a short-term notice for two weeks, and so, I mean, this this affects you, and you can't really plan this, and this is like, there's always something you have to, you think, oh, now I have, I cleared a day or two for research or for an article, and then the child, uh, becomes ill and your whole schedule is is overthrown and this didn't happen be this didn't happen before right before it was more planable um, well you could get sick yourself but now that I mean if a young child is in kindergarten during winter uh, yeah he will come home and my kids he he will come home uh, sick uh, once in a while at least um, so this changes things the dynamics so you have to uh, yeah. Um, you you might have to need somebody to I, I agree with that so to somebody uh, it's a good idea to get somebody in there and like can you push me once in a while can you like tell me I should do that or might yeah to just talk about about it with other people and 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 get some structure into it because it's easy to then just let your research rest for for another month or something. 
Yeah, I also noticed about that that shamble in your in your schedule. I also noted when I had kids that I needed to build a better way to um, take notes, mm. like or like to um, uh, to discuss work on Slack because I, I'll be on Slack with my co-authors, so that I can like sort of like exit in an unplanned way for two weeks or uh, for like two days or two weeks because stuff happens. Mm -hmm and go back into the work. So uh, now I try to work with co-authors who know, who know and can adapt to the fact that there is always some sort of short, at least short-term unpredictability in my schedule and try to, so like when we end the Skype or when we take notes or stuff, uh, like leave myself or my colleague leave me through notes that are written differently that I'll be able to reread after like, uh, three days without sleeping because uh, my kids has a gastro or whatsoever or two weeks because there is some problems or or whatever to ease me back faster into the work so it took time but you can actually uh, alone or with your co-authors some of build different uh, um, different way of working that are going to take into account that sometime you plan to work for a week on something and it doesn't happen that way and to ease people uh, back into where where I was, what I was wor working, or what's the work left, or whatsoever. Yeah, that's good advice. I'm, I might um, take you up on this, Beatrice and Reinhardt. I'm trying to work on a revise and resubmit that I've been meaning to start for weeks. I mean, I'm blaming the coronavirus because <laughs> it feels like the beginning <laughs> of semester again when I'm trying to reach change all of my classes online but but so I partly it's that fault but I'm also I know procrastinating because I'm fearing failure I know it's going to be hard um and now with Anton at home of course it's also can I get enough peace and quiet to concentrate on such um such deep level work compared to you know my teaching which is much easier to sit down half an hour and get something done um, Oh yeah, my no. Uh, right now it's rather hard with the with the virus, and I mean we have like a two two room apartment, and it's really I mean, it's not a semester break for me, and it's usually the time when I get my can work on articles. But uh, in the last two weeks, I <laughs> you you just hope to get the preparation for the next semester uh, going, and uh, it's really hard. I mean that's with a two year old at home running around. Um, you, you can get some work in the evening, so maybe when the partner it takes care for for two hours or something. But even then, like the little uh, guy always then comes in, checks what is what is his father doing, and oh, there's a screen, and that is looks so nice, and there's a laptop with so many keys where you can press on, and it's it's really <laughs> it's not <laughs> not the best environment for 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 uh, writing an article. So you do that maybe in the evenings, but I, I, I mean, I had hoped to get some work done in the semester break, but I think due to the virus, it will be much less than I uh, had hoped for, but um, yeah. Yeah, and part of me is um, trying to be an optimist and say, well, the whole of academia has now slowed down, so maybe I won't be too blamed for, you know, submitting stuff a bit later. Well, but those with, without children don't have it. Oh, well, at least in Germany, where this is semester break, those without children, would have time at home now to work, right? <laughs> yeah, we don't know. I mean, there are so many situations like people with like sick related or sick themselves or, or people that, uh, that are uh, older enough so that it takes really forever for them to move to online teaching in the way where perhaps, I mean, it was an effort, but I mean, we were video conferencing before and it was easier. But yeah, I mean, there is, uh, so first, yeah, I mean, there is that outside pressure that you just want to ditch and do whatever you want. And also think about it at least as an eight months uh, stream. And if you don't work the first two, you might work more the, the third. And I, I, as I was saying, like, never assume that if you're reading a book for your research to put in a paper or whatsoever, you're going to be able to read more than one chapter. Meaning sort of like you don't know, don't assume you're going to like have like three hours to work in a row so it means you have to leave you notes about what what puzzle I had with that chapter or what problem I have writing that paragraph so that so that 
you can be back at it. Uh, of course, it's not optimal. You, 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 you'd rather have like five hours in a row to write your section. But if it doesn't work like that, they might be second best option to try to sort of like slice it up uh, a bit more. Yeah, no, that's great. So I just want to start to wrap up. Um, we, I, um, I want to tease out some of the, the kind of next steps that we talked about. First of all, I think just to talk about it. So we need to realize that it's okay where to um, vocalize our needs as parents. Um, and as much as, you know, Reinhardt mentioned that, yes, we're also in a climate where it's not easy to get jobs. So that has to be balanced between, okay, how many demands can I vocalize and not jeopardize my, you know, work prospects, but, but definitely vocalize more. And I think people are more receptive to that today than if they've ever been before. And then second of all, we mentioned funding. So the fact that we need to talk to our universities to start to um, legitimize childcare expenses for conferences. Um, and then also Beatrice mentioned that we, you know, we should talk to older colleagues, try to get more support from them um, to push our research forward. Is there anything else that I've forgotten or that you want to add? No, I think, I think the, the message is really like, people are, are well-intentioned. I mean, if, if, they, if we don't have childcare, if we don't have solution, I don't think it's because people want us like productive and alone and whatsoever. Uh, they are good initiative. Like think about the wonderful uh, Young Scholar program at HES that draws like to between 20 and 30 Young Scholar repeatedly every year. They are wonderful stuff that has been done already, but it's just, you know, people are busy in their mind and, and placing your request just up of the problem on the long list of things they have to think about. So even if like individually, some people are really behave in a shitty way, let's not deny that and that remark and that pressure. On the whole, I think uh, the, the, the profession is good intention, your university is well-intentioned, uh, your professional society is well-intentioned and your colleagues are. So, so just, just talk about it talk about what you need and place requests and be creative about the solution you would like to be implemented just because people won't think about it. Yeah, and I think it's more um, also what people or even I didn't notice how many how many other colleagues actually have the same problems because nobody's talking about it. You don't even, even young scholars who have children don't talk too much about it and during conferences at least to probably to their close friends but not to like people they see once a year or something so you don't actually you're not aware how many young scholars are actually parents and how many people um, share your share the the um, like your needs for example for childcare. And like if you know you're not alone and there's several others or many others and if you just ask and they everybody would just ask for childcare and push it up the agenda this might already be helpful because I, as you said, it's like in, in France, you said it's, it should be invisible. And I think it, it often is invisible, um, even in, inside the community, like the history of economics um, community. Um, children are often, or it's unclear who is a father or who is a mother. Or who, um, so this is an, rather an invisible problem. And to make it visible is a big step. And it's a coordination issue. I mean, we're economists, so if you're the only one keep talking about it, you might be uh, you might become you know the the angry woman who always asks about this thing that no one want to hear. But if it's like thirty of you, it's it's not an individual angry woman thing. It's a generational stuff. Okay, and so you won't you won't fear for your job. You won't fear for your reputation or whatsoever. It would really be a collective. So it's it's really about shaping a collective voice, uh, talking about these things and asking peacefully for these things again and again. And you will be helped clearly. And and to do justice to you, Beatrice, you're one who is talking about this for several years now at conferences. You were <laughs> asking about it. I remember the when was that HES meeting two years ago in Chicago when you. Um, when you, I forgot which award it was, you won one of the oh, best yeah, the, awards, and then you had a, a speech at the banquet that was rather rant um, about uh, 
people yeah, telling you not to have children. That was, that was fantastic. Um, so you're one, probably the one in our community that speaks out about it uh, most loudly and most often. So that's very good. Thanks for that. That's very much appreciated. Yeah, thank you so much. That's paper I got a prize for. I wrote um, just after having my third kid, and and I feel I had to. I feel I had to to say that. I mean, you can have kids and be tired and write write cool paper if you want to. So. And you did so. That's. Uh... <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, where I say this often, I'm very lucky to be born a woman in this generation. We have more role models like you, Beatrice, that. Um, Clearly, you were That's lacking, so nice. I think. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode enough to come back for more. The featured music is called Knowing Nothing by Midair Machine, and our intro features Paul Krugman at his Nobel Prize banquet speech in 2008. Thank you to Noble Media AB for giving us the permission to use the audio. Check out our website, cetrusneverparabus.net, for more information. Follow us on Twitter, Cetris and Parabus, and listen to more episodes on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Bonjour. Ah, bonjour. <laughs> oh. So that, that's a cute celebration. Oh, God, it's so cute. <laughs> <laughs>